I'm Neil Roberts and this is Dragon Hour. Hello and welcome to Dragon Hour. Just the two of us here, but be honest, we are your two favourites, aren't we? I'm Mark oh. Griffiths. <laughs> Come on, Neil. Come on, Neil. You know, you know what the people want. And Neil Williams, of course, is with me. Uh, I'm for those of you who are not watching, I'm wearing Sherry Motel on Mars's beautiful Wrexham US flag, which we flew in front of the press box on Saturday, and we'll try and keep doing that as much as we possibly can. But firstly, Neil, I'm going to pretend I didn't see you less than 24 hours ago and say, how are you doing? I'm absolutely fine, Mark. Unlike yourself, we've got six months, well, six weeks, I should say, free, free time. I'm still working and it's been a busy, busy day. You poor thing. Well, you know. I know, I know. Now you're, you're stress-free, whereas I'm keeping one eye on Laszlo, the podcasting cat, because he's wandering around here trying to find things that aren't food for him to eat. Anything plastic or paper is on his menu. Oh, I think he's oh yeah, definitely to... stress-free. My dog's fast asleep in the kitchen, so he's, he's all right at the moment. So. <laughs> Fair play. I'm going to take this flag off now, because the problem with using it as a cape is it's beautifully made. It's really thick with layers and I'm sweltering after having it on for about two minutes. So, uh, well, let's just introduce the show because we'll be looking back on the first two games of the season. There's a contrast for you. And we'll also be looking forward to Wimbledon. Mike, the ref, will make his customary intervention as well. And we'll be talking to Barry Worthington from the Wigan podcast, Progress through with Unity, about James McLean. So... As those long blokes say, this is Dragon Hours. I'm Mia Roberts, and this is Dragon Hours. Well, we had a dramatic start to the season, losing 5-3 at home to Milton Keynes-Dons. I mean, to be honest, Neil, if it wasn't startling, it wouldn't be Wrexham, because at the moment, everything off and on the pitch is, it, it just feels like hyper-real and really bright colours, everything's crazy. Yeah, first thing I want to say, you know, it's good good to be back. Good to be back at the race course, watching some football and doing Dragon Heart again. And yeah, I, th- I think you know, Saturday's game was uh, a big eye opener and a big bump down to earth. You know, after the the epic season we had last season with so many, you know, exciting games to watch. I mean, don't get me wrong, Saturday was an exciting game to watch, but in many ways the wrong, not for Wrexham fans. But uh, you know, there was eight goals in the game. Um, Players looked a bit tired and lethargic, I think. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think it was a big learning curve for them to see what the opposition is going to be like this season as well. I can't help thinking in a way. I, I don't know. I, I feel like you said that that sort of rustiness at the start of the match. I feel like yeah. that sort of conditioned how we saw the rest of it. Because after about half an hour, we started getting on top. And the second half was all us, wasn't it? You know, I, I I hate to say this because I think we've got the squad to deal with Mullen's absence, but it, it felt, especially the second half, like the sort of game where Mullen would have filled his boots and the number of balls were getting into the box, but we just didn't have somebody finishing her off. Totally agree. I think the second half was far better when, you know, when Parky decided to bring on the, the subs yeah. and, and make a lot of changes. You know, when he took off Dalby and Waters and, and brought on um, Palmer, um, made made a huge huge difference, um, and we could have scored a lot more goals. You know, we, 
But yeah. it was what it was. I mean, as you say, the first five, ten minutes we were very shaky with all the sixes and sevens in defence. Um, nobody wanted to tackle anybody. Um, and a freak, well, it was a freak on goal. It was a superb on goal by uh, <laughs> O'Connell. Um, but that's football. I mean, I mean, fans are up in arms already about us losing, but that is football. You can win and lose games and better to lose now than later on in the season. And it you know, I think it was a big learning curve for a lot of the players out there as well. And I think, you know, the US tour was great for the American fans, but I do think, you know, they came home from America a week too late and should have been back a lot earlier for, for recovery time and everything and get back to normal training. The conditions in the States, wherever they were, was very hot. So I should imagine their training was quite limited out there because of the heat out there. But uh, it is what it is. You know, we lost five. 5-3 to MK Dons, who only came down from the championship last season. We scored some great goals. The three goals we scored were superb. Mm. Um, it's just a shame we couldn't have kept them out. It would have been a good game. Well, going back to the US tour, I mean, I I totally agree with you. Um, I, I think everything about the US tour was brilliant, and I hope we keep doing things like that. But it's got to be shifted forward a week, I think. Um I mean, I was reading as a brilliant article by Richard Sutcliffe in The Athletic about um, Kevin Mulholland's amazingly detailed programme for the players during and after the tour to make sure that physically they were OK for Saturday. And I, I, I personally felt that I had faith that that's something which was done really well. Um, but the problem is, with the timing of it, we've only had four pre-season matches. Phil Parkson mentioned lack of minutes in players' legs from pre-season and it felt a little bit like that you know a little bit undercooked you know so I think if they'd had a week earlier they could have fitted in like last season we remember we uh, played Macclesfield at the race course the Saturday before I think that sort was it or was that the season before that but you know that sort of game just to set us up yeah. I think yeah. that's yeah. ideal and actually as Parkson did in that Macclesfield game take it seriously you know, keep the same players on, just made three late subs, that sort of thing, I think, would have really set us up nicely. Uh, and I, I don't know, I think a combination of factors, that being one of them, led to the opening 20 minutes when we essentially handed them the game, didn't we? And then had to play, come fight back. Totally. I mean, it was, it was quite a surprise to see, um, you know, our defence as well, mm. uh, with O'Connor, you know, in the centre defence, rather than being a midfielder, or when we've got a number of numbers defenders Capable. I mean, Clueth, you know, could have fitted in, and then we'll go. We're going to to, to last night's game, but he had a, a cracking game last night. But you know, it's not as if we're short of defenders, and it was quite a quite a strange lineup for me when we saw the the team sheets when they came out for the game against um, MK Dons. The fair play to MK Dons; they they played a good game. I think you were saying that you know that they had, they had one. I think you spoke to one of their reporters, and they said. You know, they only have one good game every now and again, but they played some great football. Their number two on the wing was superb, tall, tall guy on the wing, and we we got very little change from him. Mm. Um, and um was Mendy up against him, and he, and he really struggled against him. Um, but it was a good game to watch. I didn't come away thinking, oh, oh, you know, that was awful. It was it was a real entertaining game to watch. Just the scoreline was pretty disappointing. I felt, you know, I mean, the more the match went on, Wrexham got more and more into the game and actually took control of the game. And then they scored that fifth goal. If we just scored, you know, brought it back to four all, it would have been a totally different game. But uh, we let them catch us on the break again and they scored the fifth to make it 5-3 and it was game over. 
looking back through my notes, I, I sort of thought I was thinking, gosh, we really could have got something like that, <laughs> even though we let in five goals. And looking at, you know, one, one of the, the joys for me of being back in the Football League is we're actually getting more detailed stats out in the public domain. And we had more shots than anybody else in the whole of League Two on Saturday. But the problem is we only only about 20% of them were on target. Whereas Milton Keynes Dons had six shots on target, scored five goals. Um yeah, I think we had sixty percent or sixty two percent possession. Yeah, yeah. It says a lot for the team. Yeah, yeah. I I I think that it was oh, I'm gonna sound I don't I'm I don't want to be sound stupid and say strip out the first twenty minutes and it was good because you can't yeah. strip out the first twenty and that conditioned what was to come. But I I think I, I'm I'm not so I'm not so keen to use the phrase learning curve. A lot of these players have been here and higher. I think more they were, yeah, a combination of factors just caught them out at the start, and, and we then went away from our principles. And as uh, Phil Parson was saying to us, wasn't he, after the game yesterday, that we, you know, he felt we got away from the basics that make us good. Mm-hmm. I think the phrase he used was "make us wrexham," and then you know they were able to recover on the Tuesday, but. Yeah, there were still there were still positives from from Saturday, but like as you said, a lot of them were the performances of the substance substitutes, weren't they? Palmer and Bickerstaff up front, yeah. Ford coming on on the right hand side, um, Jordan Davis coming on in midfield, and, and, and Bryce Hannah was live yeah. in the left, wasn't it? They, they all really yeah. rejuvenated the team in the second half, didn't they? It made a huge difference being on those subs, and say we could have we could have ended up with a draw apart from you know if we'd have. I mean, we had so many chances, we just didn't put them away. Um, but yeah, that's football. You know, we see it week in, week out. Um, I was hoping it's going to be another Dover game, but it wasn't. But uh, <laughs> first game of the season, so so what? You know, yeah. it's out of the way, it's done. We've, you know, our home record, which has been so great for the last mm. season and a half, is is gone now. You know, the unbeaten record at home. So uh, that was a little bit of a disappointment, but. Um, we moved on then to the Tuesday night to the to the cup game. What a smooth link that was, Neil. So after this, let's talk about yet another Wrexham giant killing feat. I'm Steve Dale, and this is Dragonheart. Yes, Wigan. Ah, once more, Wrexham doing what's natural to us beating a team from a higher division. That was a hell of a game and a hell of a performance, wasn't it, Neil? Oh, it was a... Yeah, between Saturday's game and last night's game was chalk and cheese. I mean, the, the players on... I mean, it was a totally different starting yeah. lineup virtually, apart yeah. from... Eight changes. players. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the difference in, in their play, and when you could see them defending, you could see them drifting across the pitch as one, you could dr- see them moving forward as one. It, it was just a totally different game Thoroughly entertaining game to watch, even though it was only a nil-nil draw. But uh, but the, I think the stats were reversed. I mean, I think Wigan had far more possession than we did last night. But they they were unable to do. They couldn't break us down. We we, we defended so well. We worked as a unit so well. You, you know, Clueth, as mentioned, you know, came on really well and did a great job. Then we had um, Luke Young in midfield who did a superb job, which he he always does. And I'm so impressed with his set, you know, his dead ball situation, his corners and whatever. Mm. How we didn't score off a couple of his corners, I'll never know. But um, you know, I said I said to a friend today, you know, he's worth just being on the pitch just for his, you know, his dead ball, you know, the mm. ball, the, the balls he swings into that box are, are superb and, and just his work rate. 
Um, but there was nobody we could we struggled to pick a man of the match last night because yeah. every player on that pitch did, did yeah. a sterling job last night. There was they were all very very good. Um, yeah. Compared to, to Saturday's game, they were far more compact. Mm. Um, as I said, they worked well together. The team de- they defended, they covered for each other. You know, if the wing backs went forward, then the, the defence would drift over to one side wherever need would be. And it was it was fantastic and lovely to watch. Um, and we, as as you said, we met Parkey after on our way out, and he, he was beaming. You know, he yeah. was pleased with the, the performance, and he, he's got such a headache this coming mm. Saturday away at Wimbledon on on you know team choice. Um, I think maybe even a couple of the subs that came on last night still looked a bit leggy and a bit lethargic, and maybe they need another you know another game is coming on as subs. Yeah, maybe so, and also maybe some of those players might see what's happened on Tuesday and realise that their places are in jeopardy. And maybe that will help them, perhaps, to to just get themselves wound up and motivated because it was a tremendous performance. I mean, that team's not really, you know, apart from the intervening days and sat they had any extra time to put money, to put time into their legs. But they performed beautifully. And for the side that doesn't usually play together, like you say, off the ball, our coordination was really good. We were making really good decisions when Wigan had the ball, and we really limited their opportunity to create things. But at the other end, I mean, Bickerstaff, both games, hasn't he been terrific? He's been a breath of fresh air, hasn't he? You know, him on there with Palmer last night, was, they worked really well together because Palmer looks like a new player come on as well. He looks a lot leaner, a lot, lot bitter. And he played ever so well last night as well. And and the two of them, Beck, big staff with his pace and his skills, mm. and, and Palmer with his bulk. And you know he was getting a lot of the winning a lot of the, the balls coming to him and holding the ball up. Um, yeah, great combination. And, and for me, that would be my starting two on on Saturday. Yeah, with maybe the same midfield that we started with last night as well of uh, Jones, Davis, and uh, Young. Well, Palmer definitely he's desperate to play against Wimbledon his old team on Saturday. Any the way that, the way he's thrown himself about, he started the season so well. He's um, but you can see it in the, the MK Dons game. It was really striking, wasn't it? Because um, Sam Dolby and Billy Waters, I mean, they worked really hard, but they just couldn't get into the game. And then the moments those two came on, Palmer suddenly was bullying these centre backs who've been winning everything when it was a physical yeah. challenge. And uh, Bickerstaff just buzzing around, finding space. They didn't know whether to follow him or not. They didn't, weren't quite certain. Um, he was, he was, he was tremendous. And there was a, early on in after Bickerstaff came on, that centre back Conor O'Hora, the Irish lad, who's really highly rated for MK Dons, and he had the most serene first sixty minutes you could imagine. He looked really classy. And then Bickerstaff came on and almost immediately turned him and, and put a good ball into the box. You think, aye, aye, you're in a different game now, centre-back. You're getting engaged now. And, and yeah, those two, the way they combined, well, yeah, I agree. I would start them on Saturday, to be honest. Yeah, the, the only twi- you know, tweaks I'd make would maybe maybe have uh, Bingo, have Mendy start instead of uh, McFadden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and keep the defence exactly the same. Because I, I thought they played really well last night. Even, even down to the goalie, Howard. Yeah. Had a great game. He didn't put a foot wrong. Did he have one save to make? Which he tipped it. He made he that good save, save, didn't he, when the ball was driven across him and he got his right yeah. hand to it in the first yeah. half. 
I feel like he had something out. He, he made a save in the second half, didn't he? There was a powerful low yeah. shot, and he got down. He, he made it look quite straightforward, but it was well. But it was sure. really well hit. But he was he was no, commanding no, his sure. box well, wasn't he? That oh, one that they, he made. They very much so. And Neil Will Draw is one of, I would say, must be one of the entertain, most entertaining Neil Will Draw I've ever seen. Yeah. It was very exciting, wasn't it? The, the Wigan press were not so impressed. Not, I can understand that. Uh, as you pointed out yesterday, there were three divisions above us last season. But yeah. um, they were like, they, they were like, oh, it wasn't a very good quality game. And I was thinking, well, I mean, you know, maybe I come from you know, humbler beginnings in the National League, but I thought there was a lot of good quality football on the show there. It was, it was entertaining. The the, exactly. the passing and movement was good. I thought Wigan yeah. technically looked very good. It's just they they were outmaneuvered by us, weren't they, really? Yeah, yeah. I think, as you said last night, you know, the, the, I'm trying to think what I was going to say. Sorry, Mark. Um, <laughs> just the quality of play. Our, our defending was very well. You know, there was a couple of misplaced passes, but that happens all the time. But... Uh, our defence looked solid last night, absolutely solid compared to Saturday. I, I'd go so far in disagreeing with you know what the Wigan lads said. They weren't, they weren't being argumentative, I must point out. Uh, but disagreeing about the idea that it wasn't, there wasn't much quality in the game. To me, it felt like a League One game. Um, I thought that you know all the players looked good quality. There was some really nice technical stuff going on. And uh, yeah, for me, it, it felt like last season when we were playing the likes of Coventry and Sheffield United and you could see that our players were were comfortable in that company and able to to compete. I mean, I was looking, I was reading this morning again in The Athletic, there's an article where each of the correspondents for the Premier League team said which player is indispensable. You know, if you lose that player, you're in trouble. You know, you got Liverpool saying Salah, Spurs saying Kane, which of course could happen. Um, but I was interested that the Sheffield United correspondent said Ahmed Hodzic, who I know is a very well-thought-of centre-back, um, and he looked very good at the race course. But goodness me, Mullin tore him to pieces of Bramall Lane. And that's yeah. the sort of thing you think, well, OK, he's your essential <laughs> player in the Premier League. But, you know, we have players, I know Mullin's special, but we have a lot of players who really should be playing at a higher level and, and they make that sort of game like the Wigan match where we can definitely live with players with a high quality. Oh yeah, we did. We, we went out of our league at all last night, were we? I mean, as I said earlier, um, Wigan had a lot of possession, but they had lack of ideas because we closed everything down. Mm. They passed it a lot along on the back, and they, they had to revert to the long ball over the top, mm. which initially worked in the first ten minutes of the game. Uh, looked a bit dangerous, but uh, we worked all out, and we, obviously Parker had a word with the players, and and we cut that that supply off, and uh, mm. that was ineffective. So. Yes, they had a lot of possession, but it was just passing across the back four. Especially, like you said, the last half hour, where they seemed yeah. to they seemed to deliberately become more passive. Almost, they, they, they were. Like said, they were yeah, well, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, they were moving it around a lot at the back in the first half, but then playing that long ball, you know, fairly early. The moment when they saw an opening, they were trying to hit it. In the second half, there was an awful lot of sideways passing, and just our shape was very good. And although. You know, in attacking, in attacking sense, Dolby and Lee weren't able to get much going. They worked very hard by dropping a bit deep and just making them pass around in front of them. So mm -hmm. you know, even then, they've done a good job for the team. But no, yeah, it was they, fantastic. Wigan's diagonal ball that they played a couple of times in the first half was very effective. You know, caught us yeah. out, but uh, I'd say we closed that down. And they, as I said earlier, they, they ran out of ideas of what to do, and they just mm -hmm. basically played keep ball in the back four. 
And and when they got into that phase of the game, because we've dropped off, you know, okay, if you want to do that, fine, we'll just defend our half. That diagonal now goes out of the picture. They're their most promising pass because our wing backs have dropped off and with the centre back. So that that diagonal's gone now. They can't play it, and so they they really. I think you're absolutely right. You're you're schooling me through the game. I'm going to record the final whistle in a minute. I'm I'm going to steal all your ideas. You're dead right. They 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 threw away the the ability to play that diagonal because they became so passive in midfield. And we could we just oh, if you could just pass it square to each other, we'll just stand back here and watch you then. And 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 it almost they almost played like you know when you see like a World Cup game or something and it's gone into yeah. extra time and one of the sides settles for penalties they just the swear world. it yeah. you know it's like that wasn't it which is peculiar because you know they were the high division team but they just couldn't get through us could they yeah the last ten minutes felt very much like that where they were just playing the game out and I think they thought they could win it on penalties mm. and then the penalties came along <laughs> the penalties I mean it was you know punch for punch for the first. Yeah. Two penalties. Yeah. Big penalties. Howard got near one of theirs, yeah. I think. Yeah. That was the closest any keeper got to the ball. And then, uh, you know, to be fair, all our penalty takers, superb. You know, yeah. no keeper would have got anywhere near them. No. I mean, Luke Young stepped up to take the first one. Obviously, put his hand up and said, yeah, I'll do the first one. But yeah, four great penalties for Wrexham. And then I can't remember what their, who their player was. And he just, how he skied it over the bar. And, uh, yeah. I think you said, you know, I think quality player or something, and I said, oh, that's that's a banana skin. That's right. And he yeah. goes flies it over the bars if he's playing for Wigan Rugby League. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You, you, have a, you have yeah, you, you have you have a, a talent for picking the right phrase at the right time, and that was perfect. That wasn't just last night. The um, yeah, the, it could be Young, Lee, O'Connor, Dolby, all sent Dolby. the keeper the wrong way with their penalties, and then. Like you rightly say, Howard's the only keeper who got anywhere near one. Humphreys drilled it as a great penalty inside the post, but it had to be a great penalty because Howard nearly got to it. And to yeah. be fair to Howard, uh, he he didn't have a prayer of reach, of getting near two of the penalties because Askard and Hughes, the player you're saying, the talented player, they, they yeah they, they went for the roof of the net and they found the roof roof of the stand, didn't they? So, yep. happy days. We kept kept happy our day, cool but... against a higher division team in the season. I mean, you, you and Che were, you know, you were saying how good a keeper they've got there at Wigan. Yeah. And he, he was a great keeper. I mean, he yeah. made a fantastic double save to keep. I think it was firstly, was it? Bickerstaff. George Davis out? It was Bickerstaff and then Davis, wasn't it? Brilliant yeah. double save. Yeah, double save. So, Wrexham had the chances. Bickerstaff tried a, a great overhead kick as well, yeah. which if that had come yeah. off would have been a fantastic goal. Um, but... It went to penalties, Wrexham held out, and they, they scored four great penalties, and Wigan blasted two over the bar, which was just like watching them in the rugby league. So, um, <laughs> a great win for Wrexham, and we'll find out in the week who our next opponents are going to be. Well, don't say that, because this is going to go out after we found out. So, we'll let's say um, we'll we'll say something, and then we'll edit it out, whichever one is true. So, what a, what a fantastic home draw against the Premier League team. I can't believe it. Oh, how disappointing to be going to Rotherham. <laughs> we'll cut out whichever we don't need. Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah Shrewsbury! Do we keep going like this for every team? No, maybe not. No, no, there's a lot of teams, Mark. Yeah. Can I throw you two dull stats that I've uncovered? One of them, um, that now puts us ahead all time in penalties. We've Wrexham have been in 17 penalty shootouts. 
we've won nine and lost eight. So that means nothing but one last. There you go. Uh, and also, <laughs> just over one in five of all the games that Jake Bickerstaff has played for Wrexham has ended in the penalty shootout. Wow. He's, he's been involved in 14 games, and three of them have gone to penalties. The Ultrium game as well last year, and then yep. also the game against I, his debut against Air United. He actually scored in the shootout in that game. So mm-hmm. he seems to he seems to attract attract penalties, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, I was in the way that I was trying to think of the stat that you brought up last night, and I can't recall what you said. But uh, yeah, but he didn't take a penalty though last night. He already gone off a pitch, so he couldn't he couldn't have taken the penalty last night, could he? No, true he enough. But he was he back. played in the game. That's all that matters for my <laughs> obscure stats. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I tell you what, um, one person who we didn't pick, you know, you were saying about rotating the side, was James McLean. I mean, what a, what a signing he is. And so he may well be in contention on Saturday. I was fortunate enough to talk to Barry Worthington, who presents the Progress Through Unity podcast about Wigan Athletic, and he had some really interesting things to say about McLean. So have a listen to it after this. I'm Luke Young, and this is Dragonheart. Um, the elephant in the room, let's address it, James McLean. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's not an elephant for us because we love him and we still yeah. love him. Um, it's, I, I, I spoke to a Wrexham fan uh, two days ago and I said, hopefully you'll get to know James McLean, the man, because because mm. they, they talked about the baggage, but it, there's no baggage with James McLean. It's the opposition fans' mm. way of trying to get to him. And if they do... Mark, I'll tell you, all it does is motivate him to play even even stronger. Uh, last season, he, he came in for a lot of abuse, and, and finally the FA and the EFL stood up to it, and they charged clubs with racism, because basically that's what it is. Uh, and it was sickening to hear at times. But we, we, we don't like talking about this. Well, as Wigan Athletic fans, like talking about him. He's a family man. He loves his family, and his family are always there at the game supporting him. He loves the clubs he plays for, gives you 110% on the pitch. He's an inspiration to the younger players, the way he trains, the way he conducts himself. Uh, he'll never shirk a, shirk a, t- a tattle. He's, he's an hundred cap international, so in itself that tells you what he's like. Uh, his first game for us, Wigan Athletic, it was at Wembley. He played in the Charity Shield against Manchester United. You know, played in Europe with us. He's won player of the season twice. Uh, he, he's loved, he's loved. And all, all it were with, with, he's 34, and I think that might be a concern for yourselves, but he, he played every game with us last season in the Championship. Uh, one of the fittest players. So you're getting yourself a really good athlete. Uh, he can play in a number of positions, primarily down the left. He can play left back, left wing back, left wing, but he can play inside a little bit as well. So you get a, a player who can play in midfield and he's, he's tenacious, as you know, good on the ball. He can put a cross in, got a hell of a shot on him. Um, he goes with our best wishes. I, th- I think the uh, the top and bottom of it were he, he, he was named club captain and there were talk of him having another year extension after the one what we're in now. Uh, due to our new owners coming in and being uh, frugal with what they're spending, they don't want to employ older players over a certain age, and they were they said they didn't want to give him 
a contract beyond the end of this season. Uh, Wrexham came in and said they'd give him a two-year deal, which suited him and his family. And I think you give him a, a little bit of a pay rise as well, so he's getting a bit more money. And at the end of the day, no matter how much he loves Wigan Athletic, it's the job, and he's got to think of his future. And maybe you've offered him some coaching responsibilities as well. I don't know about that, because, but I do know he wants to get into the coaching side of football. Um, so he goes with our best wishes. He goes with everybody at the club's best wishes. Sean Maloney spoke highly of him on Radio Manchester on, on Saturday. They tried to push him in a corner, saying he left on the eve of the season and all this. And he said, <clears throat> I wouldn't have a bad word said against James McLean. Uh, he didn't get paid last season. Uh, and he played in, I think, six games without wages. He stepped forward on the last game of the season. We were relegated. Uh, he hadn't been paid. He didn't know if he was going to have a club. And he, he was the first person to step forward and say, I'm playing on Saturday, or, or when it, on Monday it was against Rotherham. And the club gave him the skipper's armband for that. Uh, and, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a legend. There's no two ways about it. And you love him. You love him for his passion. And, and I think, I'd just say, forget all the abuse he gets from the opposition fans. Don't get embroiled in it. Just let him get on with it uh, and get behind him as as a player. And you'll soon discover James McLean, the man as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I see all the things about his charity work, which seems to be coming mm. from a really genuine place. I mean, you know, people can be cynical about that sort of thing, but what he's doing looks to be genuinely, you know, big-hearted of him. Yes. And also the, I mean, the, the fact that it's Wrexham, means that those off-pitch issues, well, certainly won't be an issue for our support base because, you know, we are Celts too. So yes, I think, yes. you know, there's going to be a, a lot of sympathy for that. I think a lot of Wrexham fans are sort of excited by the fact that, that he has that sort of um, identity because it's yep. something that, that we can associate with. So I think there's there's a lot of positives to be had from it. Um, yeah. Like you said, his age is, is perhaps... The one thing you would wonder about, it doesn't fit Parkinson's approach in terms of how he brings players in normally. But having said that, he's clearly got a lot of quality. And you, you break those rules, don't you? When you get an opportunity to bring in a player who will raise the level of your team, then yeah. th those rules don't matter, do they, really? So I think that's, that's the thinking of it. Yeah, I think Parky will know everything about him. He'll know all, the, all he needs to know. And he'll know how tenacious he is. And... and It'll be it'll be one of the outstanding players in League Two this season without any doubt. Excellent. Looking forward to seeing him play. I'm Amy Davis and this is Dragonheart. So a really heartfelt tribute from Barry Worthington there for James McLean, the person as well as the player. And I mean, this is another one of those eye-opening signings that make people stop and pay attention. Current Irish international with 100 caps, versatile, attacking, strong, gritty, 34, but he he appeared in every football league game last season for Wigan and was their player of the year. Uh, it, it's, it's an exciting, again, Neil, signing and a proof that you know, Parkinson says, I'm not going to rush in and buy somebody. I'll wait till I can get the deal with the right person. A further yeah. vindication of how he goes about his business. Oh, yeah, totally agree with you. And I think, you know, Wrexham have got a lot to offer him and Wigan have been unstable for a while with, within the club financially and whatever, haven't they? So he's, he's seen Wrexham. Uh, we've gone in for a park. He's gone in and approached for them and put an offer in for him. And he thought, well, you know, this is an up-and-coming up club. He sees where the club is going. 
whether Rob and Ryan have had words with might have with most of the players, I don't know. And say we'll put you into Deadpool at some point. But there we go. <laughs> a great signing, you know, for a player of that caliber to come to Wrexham. But, you know, he's got stability. He's know he's gonna have a, a career there, maybe see his career out of Wrexham. Mm. The great support we've got. Uh, who, who would who wouldn't turn down and move to Wrexham, you know, with yeah. with what's going on at the club at this moment in time and and where you know that the owners want to take the club in the next few years. It, and that's what I like about the players that's come come into the club, and hopefully it's gonna be one exactly the same, you know. They're not these prima donnas who who want to take all the limelight themselves. They're there as part of the team. Mm. And and that's what Parky's been very good at is selecting the players who, who come in and just do the job and not what again, you know, they're, they're not standing there looking for the plaudits on the pitch. They they they're not singling themselves out. They play as a complete team is what's what's great. And there's a I think there's a, a great community atmosphere within the within the dressing room and, and every player gets on with every player and and that's what I, I really like about this, you know, how Parky's brought new players into the club. Yeah, I, I you're right. It reminds me in a way of his predecessor Dean Keats as well. The idea of, you know, the player's character is important as well as their quality. And there's no question that with McLean you're gonna get, as Barry said, somebody who's going to set high standards and work for the team. And uh, that's fantastic. A, a real personality to bring in. And speaking of real personalities, I reckon it's time to get another uh, bit of wisdom from our good pal, Mike the Ref. Ref. Hello, and welcome to Mike the Ref, part of the Travel Card Podcast, talking about all things refereeing. Today I'm on the Animal Sanctuary again with the donkeys behind me, the grey ones, Dougal, the brown one is George. So this is where they live. So I think we'll call Dougal in the zebra coat is the concrete donkey. So let's talk about refereeing. Referees so far in the EFL, two games, been good. They've let the game, both of them have let the game flow. Dealt with what they needed to do with, clamped down on time wasting, managed the game, didn't really need to know the referee was there, job done. So let's have a look at the latest instructions to referees. So, as Dougal here will tell you, referees have been told this season three things, clamp down on time wasting and added time, deal with uh, the game and manage the game a bit better, but also deal with dissent challenge decisions, almost known as mobbing the referee. So, time wasting. Studies were done by uh, FIFA, the FA and other stakeholders showing that a game of football should last 90 minutes or so. We were only getting about 50 minutes of football a game. Goal celebrations were the main culprit of time wasting where the average goal celebration was taking about two and a half minutes. Referees were only adding about 45 seconds a minute per goal of the old adage of 30 seconds to a minute per stoppage uh, would give us the old injury time ratio. So what has changed? Essentially in the EFL, the fourth official will now manage the, the time added on and communicate to the referee at the end of each half. So essentially 
when the goal is scored to kick off, the clock will stop. The Any injuries to players, once that physio is asked to come on, till the, lead, the player leaves, the clock will stop. And any other dark arts that we see for time wasting, again, will stop. Thankfully, the last three games we've seen, players have just got home with the game and sort of, I'm not, not going to mess about with this. However, but we have been seeing 13 to 15 minutes added time each half. So that may become the norm. And the reason for that is um, to give fans more football uh, and to clamp down on time wasting. So we should see more yellow cards for time wasting. I think uh, Saturday, the MK Dons keeper got booked for just delaying the restart. So expect referees and hopefully we'll speed the game up, make the game faster, make the game flow in. So if the game's flowing faster, it's going to need better management. Referees have been told to manage the game. So where um, we might see a bit more body contact, we might see a bit more contact. If the players are generally getting on with the game and enjoying themselves and getting on with it, referees will let them do it and we will probably see um, a few tackles be let go. However, if the players are not complying um, even that's where the referees will be asked to step up. So we might see a reduction in yellow cards and possibly red cards this season. Um, I know MK Dons game, Sam Dolby got pulled all over the place. Probably free kick, but to be fair to the referee, he consistently didn't give it um, and let a lot go. So it's subjective, no complaints with the referee on that. The next one is dissent and mobbing. Where we've seen in the past, players have chased referees around the pitch or challenged a decision. Um, that shouldn't happen. Now, as soon as the referee uh, makes a decision and a player steps towards challenging in a relatively aggressive way, expect to see a yellow card. There's an incident in the MK Dons halfway through the second half on Saturday where Ryan Barnett was disagreeing with the referee's decision. He took two steps forward, the referee blew his put his hand out, went, stop there. And to be fair, Barnett did. And that again, that was good management, prevented dissent, prevented a yellow card, but also maintained control. Uh, also where a referee gives a decision, where we see two, three, four players running up to the referee, again, expect a yellow card for that. So they're the latest brief updates on the changes in the directives to referees. So clamp down on time wasting, manage the game, and deal with dissent and uh, unnecessary but poor behaviour firmly and robustly. Okay. If you need to follow me, I'm Mike the Ref 1974 on Twitter. Always open for chat. Hashtag AskRexum. I have a look at that. And also I will then put the link for these wonderful concrete donkeys, Dougal and George. Uh, send in regards. I believe these are former Chester players who've come to Wales because it's a better place to be. I'm Mike the Ref, and this is Dragonheart. Yeah, so good old Mike the Ref, clearing a, a bit more up for us. But um, I'm not, I don't mean in his donkey sanctuary, I mean clearing up. Oh, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I have to clear up a lot as well, Mike. Yeah. Oh, well, fair, fair play. Well, the, the muck never touched my delicate hands. I'm telling you, I'm, uh, <laughs> the and I've never seen a hard day's work in my life. I tell you that for nothing, except for watching Wrexham 
um, under ooh, which Back manager shall I say? Second season Gary Mills, I'm going for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think more, but yeah, Dean Saunders maybe as well. Some, we some of it was very drab, wasn't it? And I was looking back at uh, uh, the first time we played AFC Wimbledon. There's a coincidence. Um, and how he absolutely tore his team, individuals in his team, just shreds naming them after the the, the mm. match. And I thought, I don't, I don't think I really missed those days. Um, it is Wimbledon on Saturday. That first game there was pretty insane. Uh, Christian Smith gave away a penalty, which Dean Saunders said was ridiculous. Uh, the, I mean, the challenge, not the decision. Maxwell saved it. Mangan scored. We are winning in the 90th minute. Frank Sinclair scores an own goal. Mangan then scores in added time to put us 2-1 up. And then Curtis Obeng passes back to the keeper, which ends up being a corner. So Saunders has slaughtered him. And then from the corner, as it was coming in, Frank Sinclair's being jostled and punches the man he's marking. He gets sent off for the third time in the season, the second time in the month, because that was straight after he broke Tom Keeney's leg, if you remember. And... We let in the penalty and somehow managed to draw two all. But Wimbledon, isn't that wonderful to see him back in the football league? Oh, definitely so. Yeah, we had MK Dons last Saturday, mm. and we've got Wimbledon this Saturday. Yeah. In a week, we couldn't have written the script, you know. And Wimbledon from one extreme to another, haven't we? <laughs> yes, they they too, you know. And it's good to see them coming back to their their home, Wimbledon. Mm. You know, they've got their new stadium now, which is originally just. As you say, just across the field from where they used to be, so they're back in where where they want to be. Wrexham sold out their away following yet again. Mm. Uh, I don't know how many away fans have, they've allowed us to have. I don't know, but I know that sold out. Funny enough, my ne- my nephew was able to get a ticket in the Wrexham end. He normally goes in the in the way, in the home end because mm-hmm. he can never get a ticket in the in the way end. But he did, so um, yeah, he's looking forward to the, the trip down to. The Wimbledon and it'll be a good game. Proper yeah. club, proper fans. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure the fans and, and the you know the players will be looking forward to it. A long trip. Hopefully worth it. Whether the, <laughs> yeah, whether the players are gonna fly there after all the, <laughs> the um well let's find out more about Wimbledon then because Michael Taliadoras, who's you'll hear his voice on Saturday as the stadium announcer who does commentating as well for them a top bloke from a top club has been chatting about what we can expect I'm Gareth Owen and this is Dragonheart Well, Michael, it's we go back quite a while. It's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to have the, the excuse to chat to you because we are back in the same division as uh, my favourite other club. I think it's the only way I can put it, really. And I think I speak for a lot of people in the country saying that, <laughs> AFC Wimbledon. It'll be brilliant to come and see you. And I suppose the first thing I should say for anyone who's been to, to see an away game against you is, wonderfully, a different ground. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, first of all, Mark, thanks very much indeed for inviting me on. It's a great pleasure to see you as well. And obviously, we won't have seen you since our two seasons worth of meetings in the uh, the Conference National, wherever it was called, Blue Square Premier, I think it was. Um, and of course, uh, the first time you've visited um, Plough Lane as well, because, um, you know, I think you played as, uh, obviously, Kings Meadow was the last two, and then uh, Sellers Park on that Sunday, that FA Cup tie back in 1998. So, uh, so yeah, it's the first time, even though it's a couple of hundred yards up the road from where you would have visited and had you had the chance. 
Um, but no, a warm welcome uh, awaits you all. And uh, and again, just just going to have the color color and you know probably even pageantry, I suppose, to a certain extent with the sort of celebrity connections. All the Wrexham fans will be coming down. You're going to pack the, your particular allocation out. Um, and obviously to see you, yourself as as well, always been very hospitable to us when we were up at the at the Kairas. And then uh, when you come down to us, we you know we we'll try to make you welcome because we just kind of identify with sort of similar sort of mindsets in what we're looking for for our clubs. We don't expect that much, but as long as we get effort on the field, um, then that's all you can really ask for at any time. But um, yeah, looking forward to the game. It's going to be good. And then of course, thirteenth of January when we come and see you guys. Well, I mean, it, it really is I mean, the difference in our status. From when we played you last, obviously, is immense. Um, but I think you you'd be pleasantly surprised that I think the owners have come in attracted by exactly that, and and we haven't, I don't think, changed in our nature. I think there's still, like you said, that that desire just to see the team do their best and appreciate it. I mean, when they're letting five goals at home last Saturday, they no. were still, <laughs> people still stayed behind to clap them off the pitch, and mm. that was that was brilliant. That in. But I've got to say that I've always felt since my first trip to visit you guys, and of course you have a very unique history, really, in terms of what was done to your club and then how you responded, but I've never felt such a tangible sense of a community club as I did at Kingsmeadow, even though it wasn't really your home as such. Um, It just felt different somehow. It felt very united. And I think, to me, AFC Wimbledon's always been... Um, the example I'd want to follow as a community club is that, would you say that it, that's even stronger now you're back at your spiritual home and back in the uh, yeah very much so Mark and obviously it's very you know really appreciate your kind of kind words and uh, and yeah and of course when you think back to the, that fateful day 2002 when the FA Commission arrived at their absolutely ludicrous uh, decision um, you mentioned about the fans and the community and I think obviously that's how it had to be at the start it was intrinsic to our kind of rebirth if you like and it's very much ingrained in our sort of DNA, the fact that obviously it was the fans who decided they'd kind of had enough. They weren't going to go 60 miles up the M1 to watch a team in different colours, different badge, different, different stadium, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think we've done as well as could possibly be expected in terms of maintaining the spirit of uh, Wimbledon alive. And I think especially now, I mean, if at the time, if you'd said to us that, uh, you know, we would have been back in the league in under 10 years and back at Plough Lane in under 20 you know, I'd have probably have arranged to have, have you sectioned or something like that. But uh, <laughs> again, but, uh, but the way well, well, no, <laughs> I couldn't but, forgive but you for last time. <laughs> oh well, well, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. We won't talk about that. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, it's 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 all gone it's become part and parcel. And of course, the fans are still very much an intrinsic part of the club. We're obviously all the owners of the club via the, the Don's Trust. Mm. Um, and uh, and yeah, and the, the, I think it's worth you know you say it's a fans fan owned club or a fans club, whatever phraseology you want to use. But of course. That was the driving force in the first instance that raised the various money. The fans have been very generous with their funding whenever it's uh, been necessary just to bridge little gaps. And of course, having thrown pretty much everything, including a number of kitchen sinks at getting back to Plough Lane, um, you know, it's 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 even more kind of, uh, you know, intrinsic now, the bond between club and fans. It'll always be there. It'll always be totally irrevocable. Um, and obviously, we'll see how we go in the future. But certainly, I think for the opening 21 years uh, since uh, that uh, fateful decision, I think... Uh, you know, again, not you know, we remain quite modest as well. We don't want to sort of blow our own trumpet, but uh, certainly we can give ourselves a pretty hearty um, pat of the back. I think, yeah, bearing in mind what's uh, happened in the time. And uh, sort of slightly unexpected possible question for you, linking into that. I mean, obviously, as you know, the, the Wrexham supporters trusted an astonishing job, saved Wrexham, and uh, and ran the club very well. Near the end, 
elements of support did start to get impatient with the trust's attitude was that they weren't going to put the club in jeopardy, which I totally agree with. Uh, you know, but better to have some quiet seasons than no seasons is, is my attitude. But I think as time went on, some elements of the support did start to get tired of that, wanted more of a cash injection. And the takeover probably from that perspective happened at the perfect time. Um, did you have you experienced anything like that? Or is the fact that you have got back into the football league so quickly, you have got your home ground back so quickly, has that meant that actually that and, and maybe the circumstances are different in the takeover means that no, you've just now got this completely new identity which nobody has any qualms about? Yeah, it's an interesting one actually, Mark, because um, as time has gone on and as we progress through the divisions, and eventually we had six seasons in um, in League One. It was pretty obvious that at that time we'd reached our kind of glass ceiling, and um, we, we we had pretty you know, pretty much at least maybe the final four of those six seasons always a struggle and narrowly avoiding uh, relegation, and you know clearly we, you know seeing that we couldn't maybe progress under the current model, maybe under the current infrastructure in terms of our league status and what division we were in. And I think more and more it's become a bit more of a, a bone of contention, a bit more of a hot potato. I think amongst certain sections of the support. That um, you know, there's there are some obviously who go back to the the, the 2002 mentality of, uh, and quite rightly so, and I'm, I'm probably more inclined towards that. That never wanting the club to be jeopardised of being taken away again and carted up the the motorway in a, in a removal van. Um, but others, I think um, that they have other other views, and again, it's perfectly valid because of course you need a bit of money in this day and age. It's what football revolves around, particularly now when you see the multi-billion-pound activities of other clubs and the stadia and. Uh, you know, there are certain sponsors that, that, that are there and benefactors. Um, but obviously there are those who want the investment to the point where we still maintain the minimum 51% of uh, the club control. Um, I think there are a few others who actually believe in selling beyond that and maybe risking, again, a situation like we faced in 2002. So it's, it's certainly something that's been mentioned. It's not, not, I don't think it's, it's fair to say that everyone's sitting around sort of all clapping in unison and singing Kumbaya together and <laughs> um, to, to, to coin a phrase and uh, be absolutely satisfied. But I think deep down, it, it's not necessarily wanting to go back to the old ways or fit in with the modern financial ethos that surrounds a lot of the football. I think it's just from a genuine desire to progress because a lot of the fans, obviously, you go down to Wimbledon. Um, they were there but, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s, the cup runs that put us on the map and then getting into the Football League originally in 1977 um, and winning the FA Cup, obviously, 1988. And then, uh, again, the gradual decline towards the end of that particular century. And maybe wanted to try and you know if we're going to try and emulate uh, the the club from those days under Dave Bassett, Bobby Gould, etc. And then that financial, you know, uh, know, disparity or maybe you know getting close to maybe seceding total control, I suppose if that's the right word, is something that people sort of you know again we it gets a bit kind of fraught and a bit practiced at times, um, particularly our last couple of seasons when we've not done particularly well and. That that's brought the maybe need in some people's minds for external financing to into even sharp more sharply into focus. Um, so yeah, it's it's it, at the moment the club will remain as it is, but then we'll have to see where we go sort of further down the line. And uh, well, you know, maybe it might be something that might be evident maybe ten years, twenty years down the line as the current generation of fans maybe sort of die away and mm-hmm. the new fans sort of come in, which is of course a natural kind of progression, you know, as time goes by. So certainly be interesting to see how it goes. But at the moment, I think yeah, it's going to remain as it is and. Uh, making making sure there are no, uh, shall we say, interlopers looking to try and uh, take everything away and uh, form AFC, AFC Wimbledon, some <laughs> 60 miles in a, another direction. <laughs> so, yeah, first club in the English Channel. The, <laughs> <laughs> the, but, I, but, 
But just one final thing, Mark, regarding it, I remember when you were having problems as well with Wrexham, and I remember I, I read out, uh, we had a message for you over the PA at Kings Meadow just to the Wrexham supporters. We didn't we didn't sort of got, you know divide you guys up. We said it to all of you that we wished you all very well um, at the time. And obviously they've you know, saved the club. And uh, obviously now you've taken off in a completely new direction with the two uh, American gentlemen who've come in. And and again, just, just looking at the, I mean, obviously you probably have your own opinions about maybe the, the kind of the media coverage and it's been a bit, you know, I don't remember the last time the National League winners were had their open top bus parade sort of on telly or on the internet or anything like that. But um, again, if that's what it took to, to, to get you guys out of the doldrums and reestablish yourselves as a league club mm. um, since that sort of dark day in uh, 2008, um, then then that's what you've got to do. And money's the, the name of the game now. There's no escape in that, Mark, is there? Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I suppose... In, you know, I think eventually we would have gone back up because we've been getting consistently amongst the biggest crowds in the division. You know, we, we do, you know, with a before the take over, bring in more revenue than most teams in the division. But as you say, money counts. And, you know, for example, oh, the T-shirt I'm wearing now, my Andy Morrell 98 points t-shirt. Ah, marvellous. <laughs> Still stands, despite what happened last season, as the most points any team in the top five divisions has ever got <laughs> without going up because we coincided <laughs> with Fleetwood having money. Um, yes, absolutely. Won the league in a season when we were sort of, we fell off a bit, but, you know, that was a similar thing. You know, we've seen Forest Green Rovers, for example. <laughs> now, they're not the same amounts as us. Um, but the problem was when you when you <laughs> try to break even and play in an even playing field and hope that your natural <laughs> support will push you through, you're, you're always in danger of something like that happening. So, um but having said that, I must be frank and say that I was always a diehard of the most important thing is the club's safe in the trust's hands. Um, I really wasn't interested in a takeover and would have voted against it until we understood the actual nature of this because uh, they are sincere and you know uh, their desire to help the community of Wrexham, not just the club, is a big part of what they want to do. And um, so they, we are fortunate enough to have gone into. And I don't have any qualms in saying this, the ideal sort of uh, ownership in that sense, and that they, they really are helping the town. The, the, yeah, very much so. And they've also, uh, unlike a lot of those clubs I mentioned before, which I always rejected and feared for, you know, that idea of a lot of money being pumped into a small club, and then they go up and they go pop. Um, Russian and Diamonds, um, Neath, uh, for example. But we are... I mean, a lot of people are saying, well, we'll have a problem when we go up because we're financial fair play. But they've, I always say this to people, it seems pretty unique. They've genuinely monetized their celebrity. Like you say, all that attention. Um, so our turnover is ludicrous. So 55% of our turnover mm-hmm. leaves us a lot of wriggle room to mm-hmm. to bring in more players if we want to. You know, so They've not just walked in, stuck money in, and it, won't, it can't sustain itself. They're really trying to set her up, and, and so yeah, we're, we're very lucky. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's, it sounds like it's in a very controlled way as well. You're not in danger of sort of breaching any regulations. And uh, again, they've done it. They're not just absolutely just blindly thrown it. They've obviously worked with the local community. They work with the infrastructure, the existing infrastructure of the club. Um, and but but again, again, Wrexham again a big, very you know a, a big club. And if you you know if you reach like the playoff final, if you reach like the the um the, the the you know one of the, the cup finals the EFL trophy for example you could be guaranteed twenty thirty thousand people who'd come down from North Wales to Wembley I mean you've always had that kind of historic fan base I think back to the you know the like the Anderlecht quarter final and the quarter final with Arsenal in nineteen seventy eight and then when you beat them in ninety two and 
you know, it wasn't packed out, right, including the cop terrace as well, which is always rampacked as it was back in those days. Hopefully, you guys are rebuilding that now. Yes. Um, and you'll always you'll always have that real sort of intrinsic kind of, kind of support base that will, you know, call it coming out of the woodwork if you want for for, for want of a better phrase. But when, if the occasion demands it, and then of course, as further progress up the divisions would then go hand in hand with, if you then go up to League One and further. Um, then the, 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 you'll always have the, the the latent kind of support, which will obviously uh, underpin everything. So that's a, a good a plus point, that obviously, that Wrexham have in their favour. Absolutely. So that's how I bring in the forwards to now. <laughs> I suppose I, I don't want to forget him. So I've got to say now, Ollie Palmer. Yes. <laughs> and I've got to say, he didn't start on Saturday. He came on and changed the game. He started on Tuesday and was excellent. He's really playing like a man who wants to play against AFC Wimbledon on Saturday. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, very much so. I mean, it, it was it was one that sort of um, we didn't really want him to go. I don't think he personally wanted to go as such, but obviously it was something that happened behind the scenes where it was deemed that uh, he had to go for whatever reason. Obviously, you know, internal stuff. We will never know, maybe know the full ins and outs of that one. But uh, yeah, I think it was a vital um, and a pivotal moment in the relegation season because. Um, if you compare the stats of points per game we gained when he was in the side compared with when he was out of the team, it really was. It was about a point or so differential on average. Um, and when you consider the fine margins, the teams we lost to around us or didn't beat, rather, and just a single something ricocheting in off his uh, a backside or a deflection or a far post header or whatever, I mean, that w- it would have made a difference. And certainly the general consensus is it would have um, kept us up. Um, he seemed to a certain extent, whilst obviously relishing the chance to join Wrexham and obviously, you know, be, you know, make himself fun. And his family financially secure, so you can certainly understand from that perspective. And again, we're looking forward to seeing him on uh, on Saturday. And I'd like to think that the, uh, the overall the reception he'll get, he certainly won't. You know, I don't think he'll be treated as some kind of pantomime villain. He'll be kind of welcomed back, and maybe that little rueful element of sort of eighteen months ago or so, when what might have been had we had we kept him on, because the per- the player we brought in to sort of replace him as such uh, only scored uh, one goal. Um, again, I don't know if that was, you know, he, but Sam Cosgrove was, was banging him in for Plymouth last season. So, you know, whether it was just he was in the middle of a struggling team and therefore he could do it all on his own or whether it was himself not being particularly good. I mean, and it, you know, again, dip- opinions divided upon it, but his history is done and dusted now. So, again, all we can do is kind of um, move forward. But in terms of uh, Ollie Palmer, yeah, certainly maybe a case of what might have been had we, uh, you know, maybe been, been a bit more kind of determined in looking to, you know, um, retain his services. I don't think it was something the manager at the time uh, wanted to go through with, but I think it went above his head, and obviously he went. And uh, obviously, you guys, along uh, Palmer, alongside uh, you know, um, you know, Paul Mullen, and, and such like, with about a hatful of goals, and have obviously reaped the benefit. So, uh, um, you know, again, no grudges whatsoever against uh, Ollie Palmer, and he'll uh, he'll be brought, uh, you know, a pot of Darjeeling and a plate of digestives on Saturday to <laughs> welcome him back to uh, what is historically his home, because I think one of his, um, his one of his relatives, I think, played many years ago for Wimbledon, so he's got that family connection. So I think he'll be warmly welcomed back, certainly. And I'm sure a pot of tea and uh, some digestives on his oh, yeah. diet. <laughs> You're guaranteed one, Mark. Don't worry about that. We've, 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 got, we've got a big supermarket across the road, so we'll make sure that there won't be any shortage of uh, comestibles for you when you join us. <laughs> well, that's exactly, uh, you know, delicate... Uh, Pixie-like figure that I am, I'm glad to be. I suppose the other thing to say is, is both sides. I was going to say that in some ways we come into this game in in a similar 
way in terms of selection. But before I get to that, I will say one thing, of course, is we both have a McLean to try and fit in. We've brought in James McLean, of course, who didn't make his debut because of a gentleman's agreement with Wigan on Tuesday. But you yeah. assume we'll find a place for him on Saturday. And then for you, I mean, Ryan McLean's quite a story, isn't he, on Tuesday? Yes, uh, certainly. Um, yeah, last night when he got the winner against uh, Coventry, we were one 0 down, still with five minutes to go, and then equalised, and then went into stoppage time. And yeah, he's uh, he's come in obviously from Hereford. I think he um, he he sort of had to give up a job potentially as an IT uh, recruiter. I think it was. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously pursuing the career now, obviously football full time in, in the, the the football league, and certainly showed plenty of promise in pre season. Um, and then he was one of a raft of substitutions we made last night to try and break up a bit of you know Coventry um, uh, dominance. I mean, it's a strange old story because they were one penalty kick away from being in the Premier League. Mm. We ended up five points above being back in the National League, so there could potentially have been four divisions between us. But um, in the end, it was like a Wimbledon Cup tie of old, and we sort of kept our pile to drive till the end. But uh, indeed, you mentioned the contrast maybe between the two McLeans. I mean, uh, you know, Ryan with ourselves looks like a very promising prospect, and having scored that excellent goal last night to win the game, obviously you've got high hopes for him. But in terms of James McLean for yourselves, I think that's the kind of really real statement sort of signing that you would expect um, for Wrexham coming into the league to make sure they absolutely uh, consolidate and, you know, the sort of player that you can accommodate within your kind of the, the financial um, infrastructure that you that you have now. Again, without going absolutely hell for leather and doesn't get some money and throwing it blindly, mm. um, you've obviously looked around at the players that were available and, of course, established international too. Um, and a, a great signing and I think he scored for Wigan I think a couple of seasons ago when he came down to see us so we know all about his finishing and um, and the left foot that he possessed on that particular afternoon wasn't a very happy day Wigan dominated the game um, but of course he's got a very impressive CV as well so if he's employing all of that at League 2 level then you know they say the class rises to the top and at that particular level he's bound to be a, a, a real asset for you and obviously I know Mullins obviously injured at the moment um, obviously you'll have Ollie Palmer we'll see if he plays obviously on Saturday but that's the real you know, it's a statement of intent for Wrexham to say that, you know, we've, we've come up, we've had 15 years out, out of the league. Uh, we've come back now with a record points total and we're looking to push on. We're not looking to just make up the numbers or mid-table or whatever. If the opportunity exists to then push on further and get yourselves back up to the, you know, you know the, the third tier and, and beyond, then, of course, it's the kind of signing that you would perhaps expect uh, Wrexham to make. And, of course, with the with the firepower, you know, to be able to do so. So I expect him to be a, a good player, particularly at League Two level. Uh, and we'll see what he does on Saturday. And if we can stop him scoring again, then we'll be more than happy. <laughs> well, I mean, looking again at Saturday, like I said before, in a, in a way, our approach to these games is quite similar. We had the the beating. Well, it wasn't a beating. I, 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 it looked like a beating on Saturday. The, the truth is we malfunctioned weirdly at the start of the game. And then for the last hour or so, and certainly the whole of the second half, we were dominant. But they were clinical. It's quite fun having statistics again. You can trust coming into the Football League. They had six shots, scored five goals. We had more shots than anyone else in League Two last Saturday. But we kept blasting it over or wide from the edge of the box. Um, But, you know, the performance wasn't quite so bad. But then Parkinson has switched the team around. Eight changes on Tuesday. And that was a superb performance, which leaves him with lots of tricky decisions about which regulars he brings back in or not, because they were a real unit on on Tuesday. Now, you you had a good Saturday. I think that's a good point to Grimsby, isn't it? But nonetheless, you've then gone on. You've rotated your team. And some of the maybe non-regulars have also shown what they've got. So we both have an interesting situation here of... What mix will there be? Do you think that you're going to go back to your your first eleven from the Saturday, or or might there be some rotation? 
I think there might be some rotation to a certain extent, Mark. I mean, uh, obviously, we might think I think it's five or six changes last night for the team that uh, played at uh, Grimsby, and of course, the you know we we ended up with I think making five substitutions in the end, all of them with an attacking mindset, and obviously that then eventually brought itself to bear, turned the tie around, and obviously sent us through. Um, so I think you know, and then the players who came on, all of them made a strong case maybe for inclusion. Uh, our goalkeeper as well came back as well into the side, made a number of saves. Uh, was the pretty unanimous sort of uh, choice as man of the match. So um, whether that's enough to then displace the Alex Bass who we've signed on loan from Sunderland, obviously we'll let time will tell. But um, even the players we sort of dropped to the bench from Saturday, most of them came on last night. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a strong case for all of them to be included. So I don't think it will be the exact same side, but the same. It may not be the six players all fully reinstated because they're still with a couple of little uh, niggling injuries. Um, but yeah, I imagine there, there will be certainly, I'd imagine two or three maybe, they've really stated their case. Uh, Omar Bugiel, who we got from Sutton, was the guy who got the equaliser. Real battering ram kind of uh, going forward. Um, so I imagine he's certainly pressed his claims very strongly indeed. So again, yeah, just uh, with a with a half an eye on what you guys are doing as well, we might tweak our kind of tactics to sort of counteract what you guys uh, might have up your sleeve as well. So yeah, and again, it, it's always the case that when you have the first round of the, the Carabao Cup, obviously you, you it's you know it's like the the EFL trophy. I mean, maybe not to that extent because obviously you have certain rules and regulations about how many players you can bring in and they've got a, a certain percentage had to have featured in the previous Saturday's league game or something like that. I'm not sure the entire you know, wherefores and whatnots of it. I don't think anyone is to, to tell you the truth. But um, yeah, I imagine we'll, we'll probably rotate back to a certain extent um, and, uh, and and yeah, just, just reward people, I think, um, for the performances they put in last night because when you're on the up and you're feel by that real euphoria that was generated by the uh, the results in the end. You're on a bit of a bounce. Confidence will increase accordingly. And then, of course, you can take that into the next game. And at the very least, I think uh, two or three of them will, I think, at least be worth a try to try and take you guys on. Yeah, we, we certainly know Omar Bugil because the season before Sutton went up, he scored a hat-trick against us. Uh, although, in, during the course of that match, mm. he also, I think he was already booked, if I remember correctly, and he pulled oh, right. what I thought was the the, the textbook straight red tackle that they would be showing you, the IFAB would be showing as an illustration to red <laughs> proper studs up halfway up the leg, bang, real force going through. And the referee just thought, oh, I don't like making decisions and walked away. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's certainly uh, done well against us. We know about him. Um, and Al Hamadi has been on loan in the National League and has always played well, usually as a wide striker. I think he was through the middle yesterday, wasn't he? But he's, you know, as a wide striker, he's done well against us. So we've got. Yeah, when he initially came to us, I think we, did, we tried to deploy him on the wing and we saw the ball played forward to him and he used to run in on the angle from either side towards the area. Yeah. Uh, but then obviously we then deployed him more as a central striker. He went on that real purple patch of scoring for us and certainly had a very interesting game at Grimsby on Saturday. He came on, I think, in around the 55th minute. Uh, within a couple of minutes, he'd won the penalty. He took the penalty, but had it saved. And then a couple of minutes later, he got booked for a little bit of a late challenge. So um, I, I don't know whether because of these pure adrenaline, because obviously it would have been really raring to go uh, after recovering from an injury towards the latter stages of last season. So whether it might have been the case that the penalty might have been best left to, to somebody else, because we all know that sometimes adrenaline can supersede your kind of concentration. Obviously, the keeper's still got to save it. Obviously, if he dives the other way, then it's oh, pretty a penalty. Save the keeper, the keeper yeah. the wrong way. So... You know, it's, a, it's never a truly win-win situation either way. But, um, yeah, certainly someone we've got high hopes in. And uh, Boogie, as you say, um, certainly a, a robust physical presence uh, up front. Hopefully he won't be transgressed the law for us on too many occasions, similar to the situation that you outlined. But um, certainly um, ones you imagine will give um, opposing defenders uh, the runaround or at least give them let them know they've been in the game, you would imagine, more often than not. 
Yeah, we'll need to defend against them as we did on Tuesday rather than on Saturday. <laughs> um, as for Al Hamdi having that crazy little spell in the game, at least he didn't do a full Frank Sinclair, because I'm sure you remember better than oh, I yeah. the first game at yours. He uh, yeah. scores an own goal I, in the last yes, minute. Yes, that's right, sent off. I think it was the second um, I think it was the second season of that 2 all draw. I think Andy Mangan mm. scored a couple of that's goals right. you got. I think yeah. the previous season, wasn't it, Matthias Pogba, I think, uh, got the uh, only goal. That's so right, another, yeah, yeah. A midweek game as well. Um, but yeah, it, that, was a, that was a particularly interesting evening. And of course, that one went right to the wire as well. Uh, the very late um, equaliser. And uh, I think for the second time that season, albeit after a draw rather than the, you know us winning at, uh, at the race course, uh, Dean Saunders, shall we say, didn't cut a particularly happy or dare I say, magnanimous uh, figure after the, um, the the final whistle. But it made up for all the times he scored against us for Derby and Aston Villa and Liverpool. So I think that kind of levelled itself out over the period of time, maybe. Yeah, I think magnanimity was never really his big thing after defeat, to be honest, or victory. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I was actually looking back at it the other day and just seeing how in the press conference he just called out his team. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a proper drama. Frank Sinclair getting sent off as well. Danny Kedwell got under his skin. Oh, dear me. It was, yeah, it was quite I, nuts. <laughs> it, yeah, it made up for being at the football that evening and having to miss out on EastEnders. I think we had a similar <laughs> kind of a level of uh, you know, melodrama and uh, and all that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, certainly a very eventful game anyway. But, uh, yeah, honours even. But, again, 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 showing maybe the Wimbledon spirit. And despite, you know, Mangan, obviously a very proven striker, um, very nearly sent us down a couple of years later when he was with Fleetwood. And then we survived with 18 minutes to go with a, with a winning goal. So we know all about him, um, and I think I remember about the game at the race course. Wrexham absolutely dominating the, you know, the, the first half. Obviously, Mangan scored, but you had the likes of your the man on your t-shirt, Morel, gave our left back a particularly torrid time. The likes of Keats and Jay Harris, um, Nathan Andrews at the back was certainly a dominant force in the first half. I think Maxwell had to make a couple of sort of saves as well as the game went on, and then the second half. And uh, I felt a little bit kind of blushful at the end, thinking that how you guys had uh, dominated certainly the first half and to a certain extent the second, but. It was uh, just one of those things. And also, regarding the end of that particular season, we always think about various permutations of what might have been. And if it had been you guys in the playoff final instead of Luton, yeah. again, could have been a completely sort of a different outcome. But certainly days we can look back on. And now we meet again happy in happier times in the equality of ourselves in in League Two. So we can look back with the kind of the sepia-tinted uh, <laughs> prints and the rose-tinted spectacles, if you like. But um, thankfully, both clubs, particularly yourselves, coming up last season with the the eventual kind of happy ending of being back in the league. So it's a, it's a happy scenario all round. So that's good to see. Absolutely right. That's the perfect point to end on, isn't it? I'm really looking forward <laughs> to it on Saturday. It's yes, absolutely. It's one of those games where I really want us to win, obviously, but it'll be a pleasure no matter what, because we know that we are going to be playing a club with a very similar mindset to an awful lot of the important people at our club as well. So... I look forward to it massively, Michael. I really do. Yes, absolutely. Look forward to giving you the, the, the usual warm welcome there, Mark. And uh, I managed to grab a selfie last night with Steve Grizovich of Coventry. Oh. And uh, hopefully the same with a similarly esteemed uh, broadcaster such as yourself when you come oh. to see us uh, <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> that, that, that won't be one to show the children of me on it, I tell you. <laughs> I've got a great Steve Grizovich story that I'll tell you on Saturday. Oh, all right. Okay. Is it broadcastable or will it need to be? It uh, is broadcastable. In fact, I'm, I'm starting wondering whether I should quickly say now Give me one second. Can I see the evidence? It's here. Yeah, somewhere. by all means. I'm going to just search around. Uh. No, I don't think I can see it. It's in this room somewhere. 
Um, okay. Well, I better, I'd better say about it now, hadn't I? Having, well, having. You, you can't, you can't leave the viewers and listeners, and above all myself, uh, dangling there, Mark. You've got to go through this one. You're absolutely right. I'm, I'm not because it's definitely here. Oh, I'm not. Oh, no, it's not. Is it there? No. Okay. I'll tell you the story, which is that when I was a little kid, I um, I cashed in my small town boy right to have a, uh, my local team and a top division team. The kids yep. now that I teach constantly ask me, who do I support? And when I say Wrexham, even though there's so many Wrexham fans, I say, yeah, but who's your Premier League team? And I'm like, it's just Wrexham. Give me three yeah. years, it'll be Wrexham. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, so I used to like Liverpool. This isn't, of course, the late 70s of the best team in the world then, frankly. Oh, yeah, and Joey Jones. And took me up to Anfield midweek in the morning because they'd been told that the Liverpool players come back on the bus from training and then they yeah. sign autographs. So I went to the club shop and I bought a team poster and I was thrilled because all these Liverpool legends, Dalgleish, Sunis, everybody, they're all signing my poster for me. It's what I've got here. Some, oh, where the heck has it gone? Oh, I think it might be on the... Oh, oh it's starting to bug me this now. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So they, they all signed them. And then Agrizovic signed yeah, them. Yeah, the reserve goalkeeper at the time, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. And then he spoke, because yeah, he was a backup to Clemens then. And he spoke to my mum. I didn't hear what he said. And he took it on the coach. And I was like, oh, what's going on here? And when he came out, it had the Israeli player they had, Avi Cohen, oh, his Avi signature Cohen, on yes, it as well. Course, yeah. And uh, I thought nothing of it. He, he said, oh, I've gone and he's on the coach. I've gone and got him to sign in for you. And I thought, oh, we're, not, we're a lovely man. Turns out he's an even more lovely man than he seemed because what he'd actually done, and I don't know why my mum told me this, really, but she's obviously so impressed by him. She told me um, Cohen was away playing for Israel. Yeah, what Grzivich had said to her is, "He's the only one missing for your son, so I'll go on and I'll fake his signature for you." <laughs> so fair play to that nice gesture. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so I, I, I'm probably the only person in the world who has a Liverpool poster with Avi Cohen's signature signed by Steve Grzivich on. <laughs> Quite proud well, of that. A, well, absolutely, and of course, so what better memento of him scoring at both ends when Liverpool clinched the title in 1980 against Aston Villa. <laughs> That famous uh, game in, uh, in uh, at the end of that particular season, and of course, um, I remember back to the beginning of the season, um, watching Liverpool play Arsenal with the Charity Shield, and obviously in those days, I think you were allowed four or five substitutes on the bench, and they cut to obviously Bob Paisley there, and they had a much longer looking, I think Joe Fagan, I think it was sitting behind him in the background, this guy with the kind of a bowl uh, haircut, this big burly fellow, and obviously now you 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 think of Grzovic in later years as having shorter hair. But yeah, I think back in the late 70s, I think we were all at it. I've got several school photos that I'm not particularly proud of. So uh, it was the old Pyrex dish, I think, in fact. But uh, yeah, certainly to meet him last night, yeah, lovely guy and uh, great yeah. to talk to him. We were mentioning about previous Wimbledon and Coventry uh, clashes. I managed to reel off the entire uh, Coventry 1987 Cup final starting lineup for him, which I think he was impressed with. Um, I don't know how many people uh, he gets coming up to him and saying... Uh, uh, Agrizovic, Phillips, Downs, McGrath, Kilkline, Peak, Bennett, Gin, Reaches, Howden, and Pickering. But uh, he certainly appreciated it. Um, and it's just nice to talk to him. And in the end, bearing on how much commentary had dominated the game, actually, I, I didn't want to speak to him afterwards. I felt, I, I felt a little bit kind of, you know, a bit, a bit kind of embarrassed and everything. But, um, but yeah, nice to talk to him. A genuinely lovely guy. And of course, loves his cricket as well. And, uh, yeah. you know, real all around local uh, sportsman up there towards North Wales, sort of Shropshire, I think he was uh, yes, he re represented yeah. in. In the minor counties, so um, yeah, lovely guy. Oh, fantastic! Well, uh, 
<laughs> You're too nice, you are. Stop feeling bad when you win a game. Well, well, lot of the ball in. That's their problem for not taking the chances. Uh, you know? uh, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I'll, turn up, I'll change it on Saturday, Mark. I'll turn up in a bloodstained ice hockey mask with a machete down my sock and uh, see, see if that maybe alters the mindset a little bit. <laughs> hey, there's a few pubs in Wrexham where that's obligatory. <laughs> yeah. oh, I hope the, I hope the uh, Turf Hotel, though, is still accommodating next to the ground and... Uh, well, the Turfield Hotel, as, as it's gone insane there now because Wayne, the landlord, was a star of the first season of Welcome to Wrexham. He's a star now. He went to America and he was getting mobbed by people. And they have, I remember he said in the local paper, we're getting about 30 North American fans a day going into the turf. And when I read that about a year and a half ago, I thought, oh, that sounds like a bit of an exaggeration. I suspect it's an underestimate. Astonishing the amount of people. Who yeah, one would imagine that that particular patronage would go through the roof and they're just just finally mark we were myself and some of my colleagues we were discussing previous visits to wrexham and the, the i don't know if it's a dubious name or not the wrexham lager club oh I yeah, yeah. Was, uh, just up the road and uh lived my, my colleagues uh, you know i didn't go in myself but uh yeah. they, they were pleased to report it well and truly lived up to its name but having been told to stay away from the weather spoons in town maybe for uh <laughs> for once of one's personal safety but uh yeah so but it'd be good to visit the race course again and obviously the short walk from the station and uh Again, pop into the turf if there's room, obviously, for any opposing uh, uh, fans. Obviously, not wearing colours, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see how we go. But certainly, first things first, of course, Saturday. Look forward to seeing you guys down there, and it'll certainly be a real sense of occasion as well. So we're looking forward to it very much. Oh, me too. A pleasure to speak to you, Michael. Thank you so much for doing this. And you as well, Mark. Good look forward to seeing you Saturday. Take care, and thanks for having me on again. Many thanks to you. Oh, brilliant. I'm Mia Roberts, and this is Dragon. Top man, Michael. Excellent stuff. Looking forward to seeing him on Saturday. Well, Neil, that, that's about it, really. It's uh, it's been an interesting start of the season, hasn't it? But now we can we can see what we like on the road. Yeah, look forward to Saturday. Uh, I'm sure you know it'll be a good game on Saturday, and I would hope for a win. So, <laughs> but who knows? It's early in the season. You know that the, the players are still finding their legs again, but um, we've got the quality there. Yeah, absolutely right. I can see maybe yeah. come back with the point. Well, let's hope we can get a, a positive result. But it's been an interesting start to the season. It's good to be back, isn't it? So, yeah, I'm Mark Griffiths. That guy's Neil Williams, and this is Dragon Heart. I'm Tommy Cows, and this is Dragon Heart. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah.